0: I wouldn't say that it's just women who have this issue. Men also have the issue, but it, I believe it falls heavily on women because we have to understand there's also this ingrained sexism and misogyny that we don't like to address, but it exists. My name is Maurice Frank, and I'm more than just a vet.
1: Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know what's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals. My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. So, Maurice, tell me. um, Introduce yourself um, and tell me who you are, uh, where you work, uh, a little bit more about your life.
0: Okay. All right. So, I'm Maurice Frank. I am 31 years old. All right. So, I reside currently in Trinidad and Tobago. So, I am Trinidadian. Um, I would have attended the University of the West Indies. So I went to that veterinary school, which is also located in Trinidad. So Trinidad is a republic. So it's a state in the, a twin island state, so Trinidad and Tobago. So we're located in the Caribbean. And the other thing that's to bear uh-huh. in mind is you, you predominantly would have had um, Caribbean students. So we did have one or two probably North Americans, but we are predominantly for um, the Caribbean um, as a university the West Indies. So we would have gotten a lot of students from Trinidad and Tobago, Jamaica, Barbados. So I would have entered um, knowing I wanted to be a vet. So since I was a child, I knew I were to be a vet. Yeah. And then um, I think through all the different stages, I would have gone through different ideals of what I probably wanted to pursue. So I think because of volunteerism in the very beginning, and I'm still um, very interested in it, I would have wanted to do more wildlife and conservation medicine and then as time progressed I think it kind of went into equine so I really did have a strong interest in equine sports medicine and then um, what was actually really cool is even when I was in school I really had an interest in epidemiology and infectious diseases but I never really catalyzed on it and then well now I'm pretty much in infectious disease surveillance.
1: You said um, in your in your email uh, that um, one of the problems you guys have in Trinidad and Tobago is uh, poaching from Venezuela. Uh, do you do you want to expand on that?
0: Yeah, so that's a really big big issue right now that we've had. Even mm-hmm. um, all right, well as you know, there's the issue in Venezuela where you'd have had the political issues, which would have then led to the humanitarian issues because it's all interlinked. So when that was going on, there would have been the push for refugees and migrants entering into other countries. And the problem that you would see is that they would have had um, illegal entry into countries. So countries which would have had that problem would have been like Trinidad and Tobago. More so Trinidad because we're closer to Venezuela than Tobago. And then they would just come from Trinidad yeah. into Tobago. And then um, we also have Guyana... French Guyana, um, Suriname, they also have a bit of an issue, but predominantly it would have been South Central American countries would have had the Venezuelan um influx, and then of course Trinidad. So yeah. of course, when you're leaving your country, you will leave with your pet sometimes too. So you see where people will sometimes leave with their yeah. pet, and then the other thing that happens is, remember, there's like this huge demand for persons who want to have wildlife, and they would want to have like let's say wild uh-huh. birds. So, one of the biggest issues that we've had in terms of poaching would be, um, exotic birds. So, a lot of birds like macaws, blue and gold macaws, scarlet macaws, um, they've also been poached, especially from the, um, Venezuela. But another thing is songbirds. Oh, so, you have a lot of finches that tend to get poached a lot. Like, a lot of pet stores have songbirds in them. My cat just joined us.
1: <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> Fantastic. For the benefit of the listener, uh, Maurice's cat just entered the video conference.
0: So, a lot of um, pet stores, you'll notice that, you know, the birds, like the bullfinches, the finches will have um, avian pox, like scars, that indicate that they have avian pox. And that would have been fun poaching. because what happens when you're poaching these animals across, of course, they're not being bought in the best of conditions, so they're just going to be, okay, for the songbirds, they're normally put into, let's say... Um, hair curlers, or they're put into toilet paper rolls. Or even when they're bringing the macaws and parrots, they're bringing babies, so they're just raiding nests. Because, you know, macaws and parrots don't actually build nests. They actually do their um egg laying and their monogamous pairs in dead trees, like hollows. So they normally climb these palm mm-hmm. trees, like these dead palm trees or these hollows to get to them. So sometimes you may find that they will actually cut down the entire tree, which in itself destroys the entire um, disrupts the ecosystem and destroys that whole nesting site. But they don't care because they want to get to the offspring. Oh, wow. So, of course, even if you're getting to them, you may destroy like half of the nest, but to them, as long as they get. So, it's actually really interlinked because the poaching situation, even though it's a form of crime, it's interlinked with drugs. So, of course, if you're smuggling across animals, there's something smuggled across drugs. So, that, and there's also the aspect of They may even have human trafficking. So that is a big issue that we have to with human trafficking. So they'll smuggle across, like especially young women, girls. So actually poaching is interlinked with a lot of different elements of crime. So it's very difficult to tackle and to penetrate at times. And monkeys, like non-human primates, are also brought across quite a lot. But the problem with that is, of course, you know, zoonotic.
1: And all of these from, from Venezuela?
0: From Venezuela, yes. So the species of capuchin that they have, we don't have in Trinidad. So you could tell the difference in species. And um, uh-huh. they are brought across normally at night. Of course, that is the best time to bring them. You're not going to bring during the day because then you will be caught. You'll be seen. And if they are caught or intercepted, yes. what they do is they just dump the cages. They dump the animals overboard into the ocean. So if you look underneath in the waters um, when you go scuba diving, if someone wants to do it, you would find tons of cages with the skeletons if they were being intercepted. So we've even had instances where they will bring livestock across. Another big thing is they bring livestock. So it's a big issue for us as a um, small island developing state because, remember, there are some diseases that would be exotic, like we don't have them here. So even if, let's say, you find that um, a small ruminant may have um, lesions on its face, you have to do the adequate yes. and appropriate testing because for you know it could be foot and mouth disease normally it's off so yes. that is a big thing so that is a problem especially in South Trinidad but the wildlife poaching has especially been a problem for us so we do have that big issue with them and the avian um, side of things tends to be the predominant um, catch for most people I think there are more persons with pet yes. monkeys and then as things got worse in Venezuela People will bring across different animals. So then you found out people wanted to get pet slots. So it's really crazy to say that, but a lot of people wanted a pet slot. And I can't understand why you needed a slot as a pet. And you may find that people may want, let's say, an ocelot as a pet. Or another thing persons may want is, my cat was walking on the laptop. (laughs) People may want an ocelot. They may want, they may want, um, a Pokemon. Like, they are persons who have actually, um, bought across porcupines. So it really is a bit of an issue because it's fueled by persons just wanting to have something exotic and interesting as their pet, as something that's to have in their life, like a novelty. Yes. And they, of course, will not be interested in the proper care of this animal. So a lot of times you'll find out, okay, the animal is poached into the country, bought here illegally. And those which are, um, alive, because remember the entire incident, everything is traumatic. They don't really get fed. They don't get water. Yes. Um, you have broken bones. You have damage, um, internal organs. So you're not going to get the right care. And then most of them tend to fall ill sometimes to fractures, um, pneumonia. But then those that make it to the stores, sometimes they will fall ill with different diseases. So you could actually walk into our pet store at times and find ill birds, or you could walk into a pet store and you'll hear baby parrot noises. And then when you look to the back, there's a box with baby parrot, baby parrots, and they're being fed bread and milk. So the entire care also tends to go downhill because a lot of people have this belief that all animals just need to have milk. So that's a big problem for us. So, um, I think we are addressing it. So there are quite a few, um, NGOs civil society organizations, researchers right now working with the university, working with others to address this hands-on. Um, it is a national security issue, as you would realize. So the Coast Guard, yes. I think they're also trying to enhance the Coast Guards right now. They're trying to enhance the police force to deal with these things. But remember, it's so interlinked and driven by other elements that it's going to be difficult to penetrate at times. So it really involves a lot of sensitization with the public. So that's one of the biggest issues I think facing us as a country. Well, in terms of the veterinary side, the aspect of introduced diseases into our native populations.
1: So that's that's quite interesting. So, Trinidad is only a few miles of uh, the Venezuelan yeah, coast, so isn't easy. it? Yeah,
0: you could actually see Venezuela from the shore of Trinidad sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, you could actually see the lights. And yeah, it's actually easy to see
1: it may take some time to to come across. Do they come across usually in boats? Is that how they do it? Yes,
0: so they come across in boats, and as I was getting at um, earlier, because it's so driven by the humanitarian issue, um, what you will see is that a family will come across, or it'll normally be one of the relatives coming with the children while another relative has already been in Trinidad. So you have to now get the money to get the boat to bring them here. So what I mean by that is you have to work really hard in Trinidad to save money to then pay for them to come here. Because remember, you need to pay when they're coming here. You don't, don't come for free. And then you have to pay for them when they have yeah. to stay um, overnight until you could get them deeper into the south. So it's a lot of money yeah. in persons trying to save to get their family across here. Persons also make money and they'll try to send it back to Venezuela. Now, I believe the situation has improved a lot more compared to how it was a few years ago, because we all know how that um, became international news. But I think the COVID-19 pandemic would have pushed things across now where they're even more vulnerable than they were before. So when you look at these different elements, it now drives um, the criminal element a bit more because remember, when there were the lockdowns, there were the issues with Persons were not able to do as much surveillance and patrolling. So then another thing that you may look at is it was easier to get animals into the country. Um, Another problem that you may see is that people are bringing dogs into the country. So because many persons may want a breed as a pet, so they may want a husky, they may want a pug. Um, They want these different animals as pets. And they bring them here, but then sometimes what you'll find is that they'll have different viral diseases that we don't have. Or that we may not have experienced for quite a while. So a good example may have been canine distemper. So we had a canine distemper outbreak a few years ago, probably about two or three years ago. And that may have been strongly linked to, although it wasn't proven scientifically, it may have been strongly linked to, um, illegally bringing animals into the country with dogs. So we do have a big problem. Um, it is a national health security issue. Um, it will involve a lot of different Health sector, um, security sector, Ministry of Agriculture—all of these persons will need to be involved to address it. Essentially, but we need to have hope that it will. Um, they'll get some wins. That much I can not say, but yeah. it is a big problem for us.
1: You—you you mentioned. Uh, it's interesting to say that because uh, mm. in the UK, uh, they always um, there is a, a, a bit of a international news about. Um, uh, people trying to come across from uh, other parts of europe They uh, usually come from farther afield, mm-hmm. uh, but when you listen to the news and and watch the news in here, it looks like the u k is the only the only part of the world where people want to go uh, but i'm I'm Spanish of origin and i Realize that this is a global phenomenon, because uh, in Spain, you still have people coming from Africa as well. So, uh, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that, because I wasn't aware of that. Um, You you know, when you mentioned about uh, these um, animals being brought across, and some of them are from non-native species, uh, do, do people... Have a, is it is it legal to uh, uh, to own this sort of a species in Trinidad? Can you own them, uh, all of them, or there mm. are some that you can't own?
0: You can apply for a permit with the Forestry Division. So normally, if you want to have an exotic pet, you should apply to the Forestry Division yes. for a permit. Um, it's not just, let's say, yes. if you're bringing an animal that's not from Trinidad. It just applies to many wild animals. So even if, let's say, someone wanted to have a boa constructor, a rainbow boa, came on, they should have a permit for it. I think there has been a breakdown in the number of persons who have permits compared to the number of persons with animals. So there's a clear breakdown. Um, even if you're importing animals, of of course you need to have a permit, you'll have to apply beforehand. But I think there's a divide. So many people don't need they don't really know that you're supposed to have a permit at times. So there's um a breakdown in education. Yes. So they Uh, may not realize it. So a parrot, let's say, is a standard pet, like you'll just drive by, and many people have pet parrots. But they may not be in the best of condition, they may not have the best cage size, so a lot of the issues would arise from husbandry. So I think husbandry is one of the um, biggest downfalls for animal health in terms of avian um, animals in this country especially. Because they tend to have a lot of hypovitaminosis, A, because they're not getting the best diet, you may see that the owner just literally feed sunflowers alone. Like that is all they feed. There's a bowl of sunflowers and that's their oh, diet. Wow. Or they may just feed, let's say in the beginning, when they're now um, fledging and whatnot, they'll feed bread and milk. So to them, it's not a problem to just do this. So we do have some issues. Yeah. So we're working on it. And as I said, there are organizations which are helping to educate and to sensitize the public on how to care for these animals, what is needed, so we need to also, you know, um, work with them as vets to boost what they do. Yeah. And we do have um, breeding programs in the country. That one, I will say. Uh-huh. Um, we have places like the Point of Bear Wild Trust. So I've volunteered with them since I was a teenager. So they are one of uh-huh. the oldest conservation sites in the region. So they breed waterfowl. So we would have had extirpated species of waterfowl, meaning that they were Found elsewhere but not in Trinidad. Oh, another problem with that is due to the of course the overhunting, um, destruction of wetlands. So I was volunteering with them since I was mm, probably 18 years old and still with them. So they do a lot of work also the blue and gold macaws, so they breed macaws and they do work in education on let's say conservation issues. So climate change, um, Poaching, so they work with, um, explain to persons why you shouldn't have a macaw or a parrot as a pet. So they do a lot of work there, especially in terms of connecting the dots for children, because they do outreach into primary and secondary schools explaining why you should not have, um, macaws as pets, parrots as pets. They will also look at climate change, like how is climate change affecting different parts of the ecosystem. So it's really great work that they yeah. do. Um, That's fantastic. We do have persons doing the work. I think one of the major issues in Trinidad, like it is in many countries, is you may have persons operating in a silo. So we do have um, a lot of organizations who do great work, but they operate in a silo. So there's not a lot of connection between them. And then there's increased competition for grant funding. So I think that's a bit of a problem. So we probably need a lot more coordination regarding that. Now, when it comes now to animal diseases, I think part of the problem, too, that we have to look at is how can I confirm a disease if I haven't really been able to diagnose? So you'll have a lot of suspect or probable cases. You may not have a lot of diagnostics all of your time. So we need to also probably build up on our lab capacity and build up on different elements of, let's say, how can we ship or refer samples quickly? Because, remember... I can suspect Evian pox doesn't mean that you know, like just based on what you're seeing, based on the presentation, the likelihood of an owner saying, "Oh, you know, let me send the sample in." Yeah, that's not really going to happen. So we do need a lot of work for that, but it's coming along.
1: Yes, I guess a lot of the difficulty may be um, access to um, for for clients to to pay because you you, you did say mm-hmm. uh, that some people can't afford vaccinations, uh, and I'm guessing that means they can afford treatment very often. Is that right?
0: Yes, so that is very correct. So what you realise too is um, there are certain parts of the country where persons may just not have the finances to be able to go to a private vet, or they may not Uh be able to get certain things done. And because of that, um, vets are a bit limited in these areas, because how do I now ask someone to do a CBC or how do I ask them to do a biocamp panel when they themselves don't have this money to do it if they had to do it for their own health? So that is another problem that we have that we need to also focus a bit on. How do I now leverage care for um, marginalized populations and vulnerable populations who have animals? Because, you know, there's always this saying, oh, but, you know, if people don't have money, then they shouldn't have a pet. And I find mm-hmm. that's a bit limiting because... The COVID-19 pandemic has pushed persons more into um, unemployment. So people don't have resources. They may not have financial resources. So, you know, the state will, of course, need to buffer when it comes to their living expenses. So that is a problem. But we need to also bear in mind that it's very difficult to expect someone to afford vet care right now. So we do have spare and neuter programs. So there are quite a few organizations in the country which help with spare and neuter programs. So they will reduce the cost or they will do it for free. We have had spare and neuter drives, so that's amazing work that is done by vets and done by these NGOs. So I will have to say that um, people do have the opportunity provided they want to take the opportunity. I don't think many people may want to because yet again, they sometimes think that, oh, you know, I don't really need to spay my dog because I want her to have children, and, you know, that's not right. And, you know, yeah, um, why would you want to, you know, neuter a male dog? Oh, you know, you're emasculating him, not taking away from his manhood. So you hear things like that all of the time. So we need to have that sensitization in the general public to get people to understand the importance of spay and neuter drives. Regarding vaccination drives, that's a difficult thing because um, sometimes what happens very often in Trinidad and Tobago, persons do come in for their vaccines, but they may come in, especially when they're puppies and then there's a divide after that. So they think that they just need the vaccinations as puppies. They may not realize that they always yes. need to have annual checkups, vaccination. So now I think um people are understanding a bit more that it's necessary. Yeah. I think people see that there's a need for care. I think the COVID-19 pandemic helped to push that a lot too. So people were at home with the animals. Yeah. So I think um, you would have seen more fed services active at that time because people were able to pick up on certain dermatological or respiratory or co- um, even cardiovascular issues that they did not realize. So I saw that a lot of persons yeah. came about with the Oh my dog is coughing at night and I had to say how long has this been going on for? And they said, Oh, it was happening off and on. So I think that you know when they were home, they had more time to pick up on these things. Whether yeah, they yeah, yeah. translate it into long sustainable care is a different thing, but I would say the interventions happen yeah. during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yes. A lot a lot of the things you say uh, are tend to be Uh, educational issues. And um, here in the UK, we actually see very similar things. Uh, For instance, what you said about um, uh, vaccinations only in puppies or uh, taking away the manhood of a dog because they don't want Mm -hmm. to castrate him. All those things we we still see here. Hi, my name is Miranda Luck and I designed Rapsio. We know it's essential to treat cats and other small animals with care and respect, but how can we do that when we need to medicate a cat? Years ago, we may have thought just get it done was the approach to do it. Scruffing, pinning down with garden gloves, or stuffing medication into our pets are hopefully methods that no longer take place. Instead, now we can use fear-free techniques to medicate a cat. The use of light pressure on animals' bodies has shown a reduction in anxiety and promotes relaxation using a rapsio as a swaddle can replicate this decreasing wriggling this allows us to give tablets eye eardrops, drops and other essential treatments like nail trims or grooming calmly and safely visit rapsio.com to find out more in your in your email you, you talk about mental health uh, yeah. and I, I don't know if, uh, if you meant because mental health is an important thing here as well um what do you say that affect more? Is it giving advice and then this advice not being taken into consideration?
0: Mental health is a big thing in the UK It's and Europe. I wouldn't say it's a yes. huge thing in the Caribbean until recently. So there have always been mental ah. health advocates. I think how we view mental health has started to improve, but... There's still a lot going on, especially between the different um, age groups, because as you know, millennials, um, we tend to carry the weight of mental health on our shoulders in terms of advocating for mental health services in the workplace. And it's okay to um, feel this way. So we tend to advocate heavily for that. Regarding... Older generations, I think they are starting to understand the importance of mental health. But that now, of course, permeates in all fields. So it's not just a veterinary issue because we have our own mental health issues, but it's also compounded by the society that you're in. So if you have older vets in a clinical setting who don't understand, nor care about mental health, are they going to now offer this service to their younger staff? Are they going to really say, are you okay? How are you doing today? Um, how is your mental health after euthanasia? You've had multiple euthanasias. You may have had a client who was screaming at you. How are you feeling? So it's a lot about compassion. And I think that sometimes with many persons, they grow up so cold and frigid. They may not be willing to cross that boundary because to them, they just view it as you are just my colleague. So that's how they view it at times. Yeah. I think, um, we do have leaps and bounds for mental health in the caribbean but we are making Mm -hmm. great success and strides especially with regional organizations that they're helping a lot so they're advocating those public health organizations um the discussions are happening even at the national level the ministries of health more workplaces are celebrating it how it has translated into the veterinary world i really can't see so i do not think um we yet understand they need to say, okay, take a break. I think that, you know, we're conditioned into yeah. this continuously going and going and going. So the concept of taking a break and saying, let me relax or let me calm down and just reflect, we don't have that. I think it's like this weird conditioning that we've gotten since even in vet school to just keep going and this drive. Um, I believe also the lack of understanding from persons about veterinary medicine tends to be a problem. So it's very frustrating because people believe that, okay, my pet has a problem. So now you're supposed to address this. It doesn't matter what time it is. Just address this. So you will find that they may even message you 1 o'clock in the morning about this simple advice. So 11 o'clock at night. So the lack of boundaries sometimes for veterinarians is a big issue because it's like you get compassion fatigue because there's just no end to it. And then I believe, and you just hit the nail on the head when you said that too when you're offering advice and when you're working and working and people aren't taking it and people don't seem to care to listen to what you have to say, it will be a problem. Like, it is a problem. I can't say it will be. This really is a problem because you get so fatigued by the fact that someone has just disregarded your medical advice. Like, you went to school, you did all of this work, and then you come out, and then people have very little regard for what you have to say, what you believe welfare should be and is um, the treatment options that need to exist so that is a big problem i think that we need to find solutions not for the clients only but how we now deal with it because how we deal with it sets the stage and sets the standard I,
1: I completely agree and it resonates as well with what happens in the uk yeah uh, i uh, i did a poll uh, with some colleagues in a a private group in facebook um which are also uh, vets and nurses uh, in the veterinary profession and then uh, one of the things they 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 put there was one of the worst things of being a vet is work life balance so that was yes. one of the one of the worst things of being a vet uh, another one was um uh, having a um to manage expectations and uh, also clients' behavior, um, and all all those things resonate with what you you're telling me as well. And I think that's very interesting because one of the reasons I was doing the, this podcast episode about was to actually uh, show people in the UK how the veterinary world is elsewhere. So if we need uh, to find solution, do we have the same problems and of everybody else, or do we keep looking at our own brothers? It's, it's just us. It's not just us. It's, it's actually uh, quite uh, worldwide, I would say.
0: It is, Um, is. I've seen it especially with my female colleagues. It's very difficult, especially for them, to, let's say, have a balance between being a mom and being a veterinarian in yes. these climates because you have to make a full day. You get enough maternity leave. Um, do people understand that sometimes you just have to leave early to collect your child from school or that, you know, you may want to go home because of course, needless to say, this is your child. You want to be around for his or her formative years. You want to see them grow. You want to be there for their different life stages. And I think that we aren't sometimes providing these opportunities for, um, persons to really have that proper work-life balance. Um... I wouldn't say that it's just women who have this issue. Men also have this issue. But it I believe it falls heavily on women. Because we have to understand there's also this ingrained sexism and misogyny that we don't like to address, but it exists. So you will even hear sometimes, in a, somebody will say in an interview, they were asked, do you plan on having children? But men don't get asked these questions. Women get asked these questions. And why is that even a question that needs to come up? Like, Why do you need to know if I plan on exactly. having children? Why do you need to know... Um, oh, are you going to have a child in the next two years? Like, I find that that's a very inappropriate question. That's a red flag. And I believe that anybody here that in an interview, they need to ask, why is that an issue? You can't just say, okay, I'm going to answer your question. You need to also bring up the fact, why is that an issue for me to have a child? Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I think women, bear the brunt of that. We don't have that issue. And also, even if we look at it, people say, okay, you know, the veterinary field is predominantly women. And that may be true statistically, but however, are women able to break the glass ceiling to get to certain levels in the field? And then that's something that we need to look at also. Are they even able to, let's say, get respect in the working world? Because sometimes you have clients, especially in the Caribbean, who have no respect for women and they'll have a lot of sexism that they need to deal with. Um, I've seen where quite a few of my female colleagues, they were not able to do a house call alone because you have the problem where, men just continuously hit on you or they make inappropriate comments. Sometimes they call you on the work line just to get your personal number or to speak to you. Um, they say, okay, well, you know, um, I could carry you on a date sometime. So they actually make these advances. Even sometimes in a clinic setting, you'll find that some of the male vets may make inappropriate advances or they may tell them that, okay, well, you know, that client really likes you, so you should probably go talk to him now. And deal with this because he really has a saying for you, which is not something that should ever be condoned. So we have to look at how we now treat women in the workplace in the veterinary world.
1: Uh, absolutely. Do do um you said statistically there are more women um in in Trinidad. Is is quite um, a large more much more women in uh, in uh, to be uh, being vets, right?
0: Yes. So that's um across the board. That's not just in veterinary medicine, that's in dentistry, medicine, pharmacy, um, a lot of different fields, even in engineering, I believe. There are generally, um, for some years now, there have been more women than men.
1: Yes, here is is, is a similar thing. All the older vets, you can see mm-hmm. more more men, but usually, uh, as the age goes down, you'll see more more females in the profession. hmm Hi, we are halfway the episode and I want to take this opportunity to let you know about all the ways you can use to interact with the show. First of all, you can find More Than Just A Vet in most of the major social media outlets, including Facebook Meta, Instagram, Twitter and Youtube. But More Than Just A Vet has its own website, where you can send comments, reviews or even ask about advertising opportunities. Visit morethanjustavet.net forward slash contact to find out more, forward slash sponsors to see who helps me keep the show going, or if you just want to support the show, go directly to morethanjustavet.net forward slash donate. The website has also its own episode players and show notes about the interviewees, including bits that they not always in the recording. So there is a lot more and a lot to see in the website morethanjustavet.net. Okay. Let's go back. Something I, I wanted to ask you, is because in your email, you, you mentioned about um, government paying tuition fees. Is that, is that correct? Is it still a thing? Do government the, pay for tuition fees and then you have to pay them back? Is that how it works?
0: Yeah, so in Trinidad, if you're a citizen, you are awarded GATE. So GATE would have allowed somebody to uh-huh. go to, at least in my time, You didn't pay tuition because the government paid your tuition. And then you generally work for the state or you work afterwards in Trinidad and Tobago. And then you return that now in terms of your work. Now, um, as the years progress, and then remember, you have to know the economic situation globally. The country was unable to provide 100% coverage for every single student. So what would have happened is it became a means testing. So if let's say your parents make over a certain amount per year cumulatively, you would get um a percentage of your tuition paid. And then in some instances. Yeah. So it helps them to now provide a bit more equality and equity to the system. Because remember, I think what they're looking at too is you have a lot of persons who aren't financially in need, but yet they're getting 100% coverage of their tuition, which may not always necessarily be needed. So I think that's something to look at, too, for states. Like, um, when we're offering these scholarships and offering these opportunities, is it that we are offering it to the people who will need it the most?
1: I see, I see. Um, and, and now we're talking about economic situation. Um do is pet insurance a, a thing? Do do people have pet insurance? Because there is pet medical insurance in the UK. You, so everyone who has a pet has to be paid by their own.
0: There is no pet insurance in Sherad. Um you can have payment plans. So clinics can offer payment plans, yes. but we don't have pet insurance per se. So that's not a standard thing.
1: Yes, in here is a very common thing now. Most people have an insurance and pay mm-hmm. monthly uh, to a company to to get to get paid for the treatment. Which I think in 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 some ways have improved the care we can give, uh, but then sometimes I think it can drive prices h- higher as well, mm-hmm. which is something that happens sometimes. Uh, do you think pet insurance is something that will be welcomed by the veterinary uh, yes. industry in Trinidad?
0: Yes, I think it is. I think insurance for your pet is a must in Trinidad and Tobago because let's face it, people just don't always have the money to afford um, vet cares just off the bat like that. They will have an emergency. Your dog can just randomly sometimes get chronic um, acute kidney failure. You don't realize it. You have to rush it into the clinic. Bam! You find yourself having to pay thousands of dollars in diagnostic fees. Sometimes even when it comes to uh, um, hit by car, and you have to pay that emergency fee and people don't always have the money and then they find themselves having to euthanize their pet. So they didn't want to euthanize their pet, but they were forced to because you're between a rock and a hard place. Do I have the money? I mean, I need to send my child to school also. Um, I need to get these textbooks. I need to get everything for my child. I have my pet who has just had this issue and that is a problem. So I think pet insurance will help with that. We need to also consider the society that we're dealing with. Not everybody, of course, will want to access the pet insurance, but I think many people will.
1: Yes, I I, I can I understand. Uh, could you tell me how how do um, vets in Trinidad see their uh, Europeans and British vets? Is it something that they say that as a uh, different, more advanced, similar? Um, How do you guys see see us in here?
0: That's a great question. Um, I believe many persons do want to migrate to... Well, not when Mm. I say many persons, I mean, especially as a younger vet, many of them look at it as a gold standard in terms of working in such a situation. Um, Yes. I think the major issue for many persons is... The UE degree, um, you will have to do MRCVS. So that tends to be a bit course inhibitory for many of the younger vets especially. Because you're trying to pay for things in life. You're not really getting the best salary. And then you have to try to save money to do MRCVS exams. I believe that a lot of vets, it depends on who you're talking to when it comes to advancing their career. Uh, many of them have no problem migrating to the um, EU member states to work. I think the United Kingdom tends to be a go-to for a few. Um, a few do go to the United States, don't get me wrong. One or two to Canada. So it happens. I think the problem is the exams, the course is a bit inhibitory for a few people. But there are a few people that are interested. I know some people who have gone and done it themselves. They're now in the UK. Some people are in Canada. So there are people who are leaving. And then you have to bear in mind, there are just so many vets. And then, where do I work? So that's another thing too. What do I do when I leave school? So you will want to probably try to apply for an internship, apply for externships even when you're a student. So we are seeing a greater drive to go abroad. And I don't think it's just about just going abroad to live mean at the standard alone abroad is just grand in terms of lifestyle. I think person just sometimes may want to have adequate treatment options, if that makes sense. Like you want to sometimes just be in a setting where you don't have to be in a low resource situation where you can't provide the best of care for your patient. Yes, you know what needs to be done, but do you have these facilities to do it? So I do believe that vets, and I know far a fact, have certain things in the Caribbean, I can't say that we don't. And we do the best that we can. That's one thing I will say. And the treatment has been amazing sometimes for many things. And I can't say that, you know, the management has been poor. I would say if the culture and society led for vets to have this need to invest more in diagnostics and equipment, then we would have it. But we just don't have that in the Caribbean because remember, if we buy it, who's going to use it? Think about it like that. Like you invest this money in these diagnostics and you invest it in this equipment. You tell someone, okay, I think you should do this IDEX test. Are they willing to pay for it? Are they willing to do it? Yes. And we need to bear in mind that you may sometimes say, okay, well, this is what you have to do. And you push this more. And the client may just not pay the bills. So a lot of times you have clients who go from vet clinic to vet clinic because they just don't pay bills. So we have to also remember that you have to think about the balance between how do I pay my staff, how much do I want to invest in this, and all of that leads into why we may not have certain things at our disposal.
1: Next, uh, Maurice explained how even without financial limitations, vets often have to face uh, limitations imposed by the client. He explained in first person how this can affect him emotionally.
0: A good example is if I had everything that I needed to um, diagnose and treat a case, can I do that without an owner's consent? And I feel like sometimes we get so flustered, emotional, frustrated, um, demotivated, because you want to do more, you can do more, but you don't get the opportunity. And I could see this especially when I had cancer cases. You offer them... um. This is what you can do for chemo. This is what are your, these are your surgical options. I can write the referral. We can get something done. Even when it comes to simple diagnostics, they just don't want to do it. But what was amazing to me is they weren't able, and this is always the case, to deal with what happens when you have cancer. So they just assume that, okay, my dog has cancer and he's doing well. And then you're trying to explain to them, no, but, you know, treatment will work. We should try treatment. And they refuse. And you say, okay, we should try palliative care. And they refuse. But then when you notice that my dog can't breathe and it's 8 o'clock at night, you become hysterical. But my thing is, but we went over all of this. So I think that is a frustrating thing because you tell people and you explain to them, this is what can happen when you don't treat. Or even if you have a chronic condition, you explain, this is what can happen. And I think that emotional toll, it's difficult for us. Because remember, we're looking at the pathology, we're looking at the pain, we're looking at all of these things that are going to happen to this animal. And yes, they're upset, but you can't help but feel a sense of anger in the situation. So you don't really feel it for the owner at that time. I would say I don't always feel it for the client. I sometimes, often have noticed that I get very quiet. So I still empathize with them but I feel it more for the animal because they made that choice. And it's very really difficult to sometimes accept in veterinary medicine how you can have things available, but you still need the owner's permission to deal with um, treatment. And if they refuse, then what can you do? So that is a big problem for all of us. I think it doesn't matter what country you're in, um, what region of the world that you're um, working in. That is something that we're all going to experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You're absolutely right.
1: Um, I, I want to, um, to to just make, um, just to finish, to make things a little bit more fun. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. How would you fit a giraffe in a fridge?
0: Okay, how would I put a giraffe into the refrigerator? Oh. okay not head first for sure all <laughs> right so you know what if i wait <laughs> i just thought there's a drop behind <laughs> me too all right yes. um you know what i feel like okay how big is the fridge is it a mini fridge is it like a fridge in a like a bar fridge is it like a huge fridge i'm trying to understand like is it like a mini fridge that you know you just have a little bit of wine in it. Could it, be or... any size you like. Okay. Could it be a deep freezer? Uh, yes, it can. Could it be like a juvenile giraffe? Can you know? Does it <laughs> have to be an adult <laughs> yes. giraffe?
1: So so your answer is having a small giraffe and a big fridge.
0: Yeah. I think that's the best thing. Okay, they didn't say how large okay. a giraffe had to be how old it is a giraffe. So yes. Let's go with a okay. young draft and a deep freezer. There we go.
1: Okay, fantastic. Thank you. That's what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> um, I, I, the the <laughs> other thing I want to ask you, and is, is, I mean, it's not, not as fun, but, um, is, um, I mean, Trinidad is uh, very, um, very distinctive in terms of a country. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. nurses in my, in my practice, when I said, look, I'm going to ask people, uh, a question uh, Pets from other places in the world what would you like me to ask they, they said what's their favorite food what do you have what's your favorite dinner plate your favorite food uh, something from trinidad
0: all right you know what trinidad is very diverse when it comes to food um, that one i can't say we're very popular and honestly i could say one of one of the best in the caribbean when it comes to street food and local cuisine So we are really great when it comes to that. Um, Food tourism was booming. It could have happened more before the pandemic. I will always say that. If I had to choose, I would say doubles. Yeah. So doubles is a street food. So it's made with um, flour and what we call chana. And you could use different um, things like tamarind sauce, pepper sauce. So you have to understand, too. We are really into street food. Um, we eat a lot. So we have um, a cult here eh, when it comes to cuisine. I'm not even uh-huh. going to deny that. Um, It's hard to really explain it. Like you have to see the videos and no one understand. But yeah, we lime. When I say lime, I mean we party or we go out a lot in this yeah. country. Well, at least before the pandemic. So doubles was always something you could get early in the morning when you're rushing to work even if you had to go out liming at night on the avenue or going out on the road in an area or, um, a really social area you would get doubles so doubles is a go-to i really love doubles yes. i'm not really into pepper and doubles though i just generally just don't like pepper that much but yeah doubles is a go-to for many of us
1: fantastic thank you <laughs> so yes send me a video please i want to see it <laughs> no problem. Um, okay so uh, maurice thank you for taking part in the show all right, I'll talk
0: to you soon.
1: And this is it for today. Did you enjoy this episode? If you have any comments or reviews about it, don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjesaver.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the donate button. You can do it for as little as one pound.
0: In my world, I make a priority, right? So the team for me, if you have nothing if you don't have your team.
1: Hasta la próxima.